Brittany Wilson. And I'm Nia Wasink. And this is The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Reframe. Brittany Wilson over here is a badass fundraising extraordinaire. She has done everything from tiny little nonprofits to multi-million dollar budgets. She's the fundraising maven. I don't know if I can top that, but Nia Wasink can, being the owner and principal of Mission Launch, a nonprofit consulting firm here in Colorado. She's been executive director. She's been development director. She's done all the roles, and she has all the knowledge. So welcome, Nia. <laughs> and what do we think? We've got like 30 years combined in nonprofits. Over 30 years combined experience in the nonprofit sector. So we came up with this podcast literally three years ago, and it's finally coming to fruition today. This is it. This is the day that we've been waiting for. It really, in all honesty, was more of um, a cathartic exercise that we did together. So both working in the nonprofit space, dealing with these day-to-day frustrations that we know all of you are dealing with as well, and deciding that we really needed to speak truth to what is happening behind the scenes in nonprofit work. So we decided to take our text messages to the world, and now you're getting to hear exactly what we've experienced, and hopefully some of you can commiserate with us right along the way. While we're doing that, though, we'll, we'll teach you a few things here and there, but really we're here to, to talk about the nitty-gritty, the hard stuff, the things that we laugh about, and, and hopefully provide some empathy and release. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not doing this to just be a um, best practices uh, podcast. You know, we want to, that'll filter in through what we're talking about, but really it's to stand in solidarity with all of you that are behind the lines doing this work every day. This is hard work. Working for a nonprofit is hard. And I think that that's ultimately where this stemmed from is us texting each other every time (laughs) we had one of those you can't make this shit up moments that are so common, but that we don't talk about because we want to have sort of this rosy, um, what's it called? Eyeglasses, rosy glass. Rose-colored fil- glasses. Rose-colored glasses. <laughs> yes, we want to filter what's going on because, of course, you know, we're all in it to do good in this world. Um, but the truth is, is that we pay a price for it, too, at times. Mm. And let's get real for a second. The way nonprofits run is ridiculous. It's not working. No for-profit would ever be asked to make the world a better place in the ways we are and given the kind of resources we're given. The double standards are outrageous. So that's what we're going to uncover episode by episode is what's really hard, what's frustrating, what's fucking ridiculous about working in nonprofits. So how many topics did we end up coming up with ultimately? (laughs) So when we started this, we put together a spreadsheet where we just – dropped ideas as these text messages came up and this podcast was a a twinkle in our eye. We're at about 54 episode topics, so don't you worry, (laughs) friends. We will be here for a while. And it will get better from here. (laughs) We can promise that. So, Brittany, what are we covering today? So today, I mean, ultimately, we wanted, we told everybody that we were going to launch this podcast uh, first quarter 2020. That's what we said. And then we started getting into the holiday season and we started talking, I mean, this is the season, right? Mm -hmm. Tis the season to be truly stressed out in the nonprofit (laughs) world. And so we said, how... That would be fun if we went ahead and dropped an episode early, our first episode, a flagship episode, to really um, speak to how everybody's feeling right now and maybe give you a little outlet in this 
end-of-year season. <laughs> so this is our year-end appeal treat for all of you nonprofit folks. Hopefully you can tune in during your commute in to your nonprofit. Uh, hopefully it gives you a little release. We're going to share some of our ridiculous stories <laughs> of fails and uh, places we've just gone wrong in year-end giving. Um, and again, give you a little bit of a shoulder to cry on. <laughs> so here's a great way to start it off, I think. This is uh, real life right here. I am sitting in this podcast studio. We have been planning for this for weeks. And I am on my way here, pretty nervous, thinking about what this is going to be like. And at the same time, frantically checking my email to get the digital proof from my printer of my (laughs) holiday appeal. Which didn't come, by the way, which means we are one more day delayed from my November 15th drop date, which is not going to happen. So I think that that's a real world example of what everybody is facing right now. Let's be real. Right now, you all have probably wordsmithed your appeal letter to death. Hopefully, this is December 9th. So you've got it in people's hands. They've read word by word. Hint, hint. No, they have not. No, they um, have not. <laughs> but hopefully they, they're getting that that gist of why you're making a difference in the world. And you have done all of this painstaking work to get there. Um, and you're just waiting for those checks to come in. So Nia and I, in preparation last week, um, decided to take a bottle or two of wine and sit in her <laughs> living room and press record on her cell phone and do a bit of a run through. And it was so much fun. Because we got to relive all of the mistakes that we have ever made. Um, And eventually through this podcast, we want to hear from you. We want to get the stories that um, you're experiencing every day. But since this is our first one, you're going to have to live with our stories. And so we've got plenty. We came up (laughs) quite a few around this topic. So let's talk about the appeal letter. Have you had any snafus that you can remember, Nia, around appeal letters? Uh, Just one. (laughs) I I mean, there's so many appeal letter blunders that come to mind. Um, Most recently, I was working with a client of mine. Again, I'm a fundraising and board governance consultant, so I'm knee-deep in probably six different year-end appeals right now. Um, And we very carefully orchestrated this appeal for a small organization, only 300 pieces, so really pretty small. Worked with a local mail house, um, and we've got a volunteer day. You know, you've got to love those volunteers coming in, stuffing envelopes for you. And we've got handwritten notes from board members. I mean, this is cream of the crop year-end appeal for a really small organization and we get the letters back from the print house and they have decided that the order we provided it in does not matter so john smith is next to sally morris and now we have 300 pieces that we are manually sorting with a group of interns who mind you have no idea I, i had to draw them a picture of how to put together an envelope because they weren't sure where the stamp went Bless their hearts. <laughs> Gotta love interns. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me think of, so we had talked about this, you know, in nonprofit work, we rely so heavily on volunteers. Yes. Um, but it is a lot like herding cats. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's so time consuming. It's a crapshoot. You have no idea what the skill set is of the people showing up mm-hmm. most of the time. And so I'll never forget one time um, we had segmented our, our annual appeal. And we decided that we were going to keep 
uh, a certain segment. It was, I think, our major donors that we were going to print in-house so we could put um, – you know, personal memos or letters on, have our board members mm-hmm. write notes on. And then I said, I would really like to take it one step further, and I would like these to be hand-addressed. And so we probably had 150 of them, you know, a lot to hand-address, but not if you have a bunch of volunteers. So totally. we invited all these volunteers to come in, and, oh, my goodness, they were the sweetest older ladies. <laughs> And we're so, so nice and so generous and so willing to help. And yet their handwriting was ineligible. So, no, illegible. Illegible. That, there we go. That's the word. Illegible. Um, ineligible. You cannot write. Maybe it was that too. Um I learned a hard lesson there because we had to rewrite. No. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I didn't want to say anything in the moment. Um, you know, obviously, I didn't want to offend anybody. I didn't want to seem like we were ungrateful. And that's right. a big part of this podcast, right? So a big part of this podcast is talking about kind of um, the power structure to some extent, well, to a lot of extent in, in certain situations. But when you work for a nonprofit, always having to be in this mindset of gratitude and deference. Mm-hmm, totally. And sometimes that just adds to your workload when you're already under-resourced. Well, can I bring us then to what is coming up on December 10 in Colorado? Colorado Gives Day. For those of you outside of the state of Colorado, December 10 is Colorado Gives Day. It's our statewide day of philanthropy. Um, And this is one where, you know, a really well-intentioned local foundation put together this Giving Day, does a a ton of PR, gets corporate sponsors involved. I mean, really, they, they do a really nice job. But they do it in December, they do it, first off, a week after Giving Tuesday. One week after Giving Tuesday. What the hell are we supposed to do with that? I don't know. My donors are completely confused. First of all, do other states have this? They do, but usually not in December. So the fact that we have a national campaign that happens one week prior to it, and we all know that we only have a certain uh, bandwidth of attention span with our supporters. And bandwidth of staff time to be pushing things out and Amen. knocking down Absolutely. doors. Absolutely. So now we're sitting here and we're having, we're kind of in this uh, crux of, are we promoting Colorado Gives Day? Are we promoting Giving Tuesday? Mm-hmm which our out-of-state supporters recognize. Totally. And let's also, you know, make, what do I want to say? They qualify it by saying we're talking about kind of local mm-hmm. agencies. Yep. So people that have a nationwide presence, even if they're located in Colorado, different story. Totally. But these are agencies that are in the state and maybe have some supporters from out of state, but not a huge percentage. Mm -hmm. And so you really have to look at what's your biggest bang for the buck. Totally. But you end up in this struggle here in Colorado. If if the giving day is outside of your year-end appeal, it can really push philanthropy, right? Because that's the point is that they're increasing philanthropy statewide, that you're getting people to donate who wouldn't otherwise. In December, our people are already donating. And so now we just have this added burden of participating because if your organization isn't part of Colorado Gives Day, your donors ask. And and they 
They totally do. I remember this was probably my first year as a development director. Um, and of course, as with most giving platforms, you have all these things you have to upload. And for Colorado Gives, you have a specific deadline by which you have to do it. Yeah. Otherwise, I've, you're out. I've missed it. Well, that's my I, story. I the, oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm taking. Well, then we've both had that experience. And I... I got the email saying we missed the deadline. We missed, you know, some form we had to sign. And I, I left the office and went for a walk because I was so embarrassed and I didn't know how my boss was going to react. And I walked into her office, eyes all puffy. Yeah, you're crying. You're yeah. like, that's a revenue line item that you've just cut. Oh, my gosh. And she immediately said, oh, no. I'll give them a call. They'll fix it. And she did. And they did. It was amazing. Props to my CEO at the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least she had your back. And yes. that's that's huge. I, I mean, I think for Colorado Gives Day, the other issue around it is that, so just like you said, so we have donors. Uh, uh, what percentage of it is of donations come in the last three months of the year? Oh, vast majority. I mean, I know that the organizations I've worked for have gotten at least a third of their revenue in the last three months of the year. It's totally. huge. And so we know that our donors are already going to donate, but then they're enticed by this campaign with the idea that there is an incentive fund. And you can't see me, but I am putting quotations around incentive fund. Your donation goes further on Colorado Gives Day. Exactly. So what that says to a lay donor, like someone who is maybe not versed in it, is... Oh, it's going to double. It's a match. Right. It's a match. They never use match. They don't use the word match, but that's what they're implying. What they don't, however, say is that as the nonprofit, we have to pay a processing fee. Right. (laughs) That the incentive fund fund match that's not a match may or may not cover. Right. So it's a net wash at best. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I don't want to discourage. I mean, to the credit of the campaign, I think it's great that we have something like this. I hope every state adopts it. I agree with you that the timing could be a thousand percent better. <laughs> and I think that it's a great way to bring new donors into your organization. And so that's how I personally have always used the day. I do not encourage our current don- – I don't discourage, right. but I'm not promoting and encouraging our current donors to give on that day. I'm using that as a way to bring in the new potential donor. Why are you laughing? Oh, because I'm thinking of a story. So this, again, was years ago. It was probably like the second or third year of Colorado Gives Day statewide. Um, and so there was it was still gaining traction. Um, but it was to a point where there were enough nonprofits that you really needed to differentiate yourself. You know, we, we are the shiny thing that you should really be paying attention to that day. Um, and so I hatched this plan. Um, and this is a an idiot Nia moment. Uh, so please learn from my mistakes. Um, where I... I thought, well, if everything's online, the way we're going to differentiate ourselves is we're going to be physically in community community with our donors. So I'm going to have a physical booth at restaurants and coffee shops what? all day long, beginning at 7 a.m. And who's working there? And going till 10 p.m. This idiot. Uh. <laughs> and... And we had these great little table tents. And a lot of the restaurants did give like a percentage or a dollar for a pint sure, kind of sure. thing. Um, and I will say it was fun and certainly added to the excitement of the day. But I'm also the, the development director. So I'm in the corner pulling it up and seeing where our donations are and posting on social media, our updated thermometer. It was the most exhausting day yeah. of my entire life, e- even more so than my wedding day, I think. <laughs> well, and that's another reason for this podcast, right, is burnout. Oh All right. My gosh, so yes. development directors have a turnover rate of what did we say between 13 and 
13 and 18 months. Mm -hmm. Yep. So high turnover rate. I always tell people that want to go into fundraising that at least you don't. Have, well, no, <laughs> I'm, just kidding. I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, okay. But I, I'm honest. But I also say you have job security because everybody's totally. looking for somebody. If you can get into fundraising and you're even half decent at it, you will always have a job. I have a friend who worked at a university and he worked in admissions and he had the opportunity to make the bridge over to development. Mm-hmm. And I told him do it because that was within a university, but it just opened his options to this whole sector of fundraising and everybody needs a fundraiser. Totally. So you're, there's always jobs available. Yeah. Well, and I think the added stress of year-end giving for any organization that's on calendar year, fiscal year, is you are looking up till December 31st, trying to hit that budget number because it starts over January 1. Can we talk about how much I hate a calendar fiscal year? Do it, girl. Profits. Do it. This is my new, <laughs> my new platform that I have been pushing. In fact, I was in an exec meeting last night and my lovely CEO said, I hear you, Brittany. I know you want to change the fiscal year. I hear you. And then she grabbed your soapbox and put it in the corner. (laughs) Exactly. Because I'm constantly trying to um, just, I don't know, uh, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to encourage my board members. It it seems like a really big deal to change it, right? I've been in an organization that has done it. It really was not as big of a deal. I'm sure that changes depending on your organization, how big it is, what it does, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But what I cannot stand, and I know we're going to talk a lot about this throughout the podcast, is the scarcity mindset that nonprofits find themselves in. And um, having having your heaviest revenue period be in the last quarter of your fiscal year sets you up for never really knowing. And of course, again, depends on how close you are to your budgets, but you never really know where you're going to end the year. But at the same time, you're already budgeting for next year. And I've been in this situation where, you know, we're thinking, oh my gosh, we're not going to hit this budget. We're not going to hit this budget. We're not going to hit this budget. So when we look at budgeting for next year, we get ultra conservative. Totally. And then literally in the last three days of the year, we can not only hit our budget, but exceed our budget Mm -hmm. by a lot. Yeah. And yet we've already approved a budget for the next year that is with that scarcity mindset that doesn't allow us to make the investments in the area that we really need to make them, that doesn't allow us to take the risks that we need to take. And so we're just caught in this cycle where we never get ahead. Totally. I was the executive director of a small nonprofit and uh, we were calendar year, fiscal year, pushing to the end, and we got a large check the week of Christmas. And so I remember calling my board chair on uh, the day after Christmas, so December 26, and saying, hey, Sally Sue, we just got this check-in. I need to buy computers before December 31st (laughs) because we need new computers and we finally have the money to do it. And I have five days (laughs) to place this order. Can you get the board to approve this really quick? I mean, that, that is the kind of ridiculousness that fundraisers and nonprofits go through. Let me ask you this question. How many New Year's Eves (laughs) have you spent checking your phone to see what donations have come in? Let's set the scene. It's New Year's Eve. 
I'm probably in Michigan with my family. It's snowing and miserable. (laughs) And gray. And gray, because it's always gray in Michigan. Um, Sorry, Mom. I know you hate it when I say that. (laughs) And my executive director at the time, this is when I was a development director, uh, called me at 6 a.m. my time, which was 4 a.m. her time in Colorado. That's crazy. um, Telling me that she was really nervous and I needed to schedule three more emails to go out that day. And so at 6 a.m., I'm trying to explain to her that that's a great way to get a bunch of people to unsubscribe and not to get donations. (laughs) Tell me about your favorite New Year's Eve. (laughs) Well, we always had, at one of the places I worked, we had a donor that always brought in a, um, they always sent in a $10,000 check and we usually came in via the website and as any good fundraiser we had already looked at our list to see who had given uh the current year that uh or last year that hadn't given this year done our live bunk calls she was one of them i'm waiting i'm waiting i'm waiting ten thousand dollars was a big gift for us Mm -hmm. and it really was the difference of hitting a budget or not hitting a budget and so i spent the entire night waiting for it to come in did not come in. Oh my gosh. Completely disheartened, right? So have spent months and months and months working to hit this goal. We actually hit the goal, but I just still was bothered that, you know, we hadn't done enough to steward her to warrant another check at the end of the year. And then get into the office after the New Year holiday only to find in that she sent it through check. <gasps> And it came in after the first, but was postmarked and written before the end of the year. Well, and I think like that—that that is the real story. You know, we we talk about well, just one more social media post, one more email campaign, one more round of libunt calls. But really, it, what matters is what happened the eleven months before. It's about how we've stewarded our, stewarded our donors up until then. Our, our final push is much more just giving them the method to actually make the donation. But whether or not they're going to give really has to do with how well we we've brought them into our mission. Exactly. Well, I want to take it back real quick, um, since I am still in this moment of waiting for my digital proof from my printer, <laughs> and why I am freaking out so much about it is because there was a time when I did not see a proof <laughs> of my year-end mailing. So this is uh, the part where we do weave in some best practices, and I would like to encourage everyone to always see a proof of your mailing. If you can see it in person, even better, like yes. print it out. See the proof. See the proof. (laughs) And the reason I say that, two stories. One, I sent out... I heard Steve and admit it. I'm hugging it, you across the table, uh, Thank girl. you so much. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Talk about being vulnerable. Um, okay, so I sent out a mailing once where the salutation field didn't merge. And so it literally sent out to probably 7,000 people that said, Dear Salutation. Oof, that's a hard one. So that was on me. That was on my team. Okay, my team that was doing that. Uh, that hurt. But the second one... <laughs> was a front and back uh, appeal letter. And for some reason, they sent the proof. I saw the proof. I saw the proof. But I didn't... I The only merged data was on the front page. So that's what I was focused on. Of course. The back page was static. Mm-hmm. So I knew it was going to be the same for all of them. So really, all I did is look at the front page. And I saw they merged. It didn't say, dear, salutation. Hallelujah. Let's send it. 
uh, lo and behold, they never saw the second page. And so they didn't – the printer did not print the back of the letter. There was oh, no dude. second page. The story never ended. <laughs> so people are like, what happened to little Johnny? Exactly. <laughs> what did the printer do? Uh, I was horrified. Horrified. <laughs> I talked to the printer and eventually what they did is they said, look, we will print a uh, – we'll print the second page. <laughs> we'll resend it to your whole mailing list, absorb the cost of it, and we will write a letter taking responsibility for it. That's nice. The silver lining is that the second mailing – so not only did we did the second mailing, but we also sent out an email to everyone mm-hmm. to let them know, mm-hmm. hey, just so you know, if you want to see how the story ends, those <laughs> extra touches at the end of the day led to our most lucrative year-end appeal that we had ever had. Well, I think that's so funny because I totally think that plays into this nonprofit mentality um, that donors play into as well of like, oh, no, my favorite nonprofit made a mistake. Oopsie. I should support them more. And and it totally plays into their assumptions about who we are as a sector and makes them more generous. I know. I, I know that my own personal stuff around that is not wanting to look unprofessional. Right. I, I get really triggered by people who assume that the nonprofit sector – because we have fewer resources, is somehow less skilled Mm -hmm. and has less skilled labor, and that's just blatantly not true. And so I'm always wanting to buck up against that misconception. But I do feel that when there is a mistake like that, the absolute best thing you can do is just own up to it. Yep, yep. I mean, I know we've been talking a lot about how hard year-end appeal time is for nonprofits, but it's also really fun. Super fun. I mean, you never know the surprises you get that, I mean, sometimes you get the nasty grams that say like, take me off your mailing list or whatever. But I mean, the genuine surprises of people reaching out and getting excited about your programming and your mission and wanting to to join the cause, it, it is so heartwarming. Well, and I think that at the end of the day, that is the real key is being able to celebrate those successes as they happen because it's so easy to get bogged down. Again, just going back to that uh, calendar year, fiscal year, January 1st, new budget starts. All of a sudden, you know, it's so easy to just let what happened go and start, you know, chasing a new goal. But it's really imperative that we take the time as nonprofit staff and fundraisers to come together and celebrate those wins. Otherwise, it just, it, you burn out. Absolutely. Self-care tip number one, coming from you, Brittany. Boom. I think the other really important thing, because year-end giving is such a big deal, as fundraisers, we often don't take the time that so many others, but both in our sector and out, take. You know, it's the holidays, you take a week or two off, and as fundraisers, we're still checking our emails, seeing if that donation came in. And I just got to say, there's a point at which it doesn't matter. You have done all you can. Take the time with your family, recharge, hit it again in January, and, and see if those donors really come through and continue to support you. 100%. We have to unplug, and there seems to be a culture within the nonprofit sector of always being available. And there's just times that we need 
to not be available <laughs> like a four or six o'clock in the morning yeah. on New Year's Eve, but also really demonstrating that from the top down. Mm, absolutely. Um, because I know that if I'm getting those emails and those frantic calls and emails and texts and whatnot from my CEO at all hours of the night, then it makes me feel like I need to be on guard at absolutely. all times as well. That's enough about us. We want to hear from you. So just email us at nonprofitreframe at gmail.com, and we might uh, laugh along with you on a future episode. In the meantime, know that we hear you. We see you. You can do it in these last couple of weeks leading up to the new year, and we are wishing you the best of luck on all of your fundraising endeavors. May the checks keep coming all the way until the ball drops. Thank you for listening. Tune in in 2020 for lots of great contact. I know um, I am going to be in the middle of gala season when we come back. I'm sure that is going to be a very popular topic that we'll talk about. I'll be in the middle of board retreat season, so we'll be getting to talk about your boards and how dysfunctional they are. Lots of great stuff on the way. So until then, we'll see you in 2020. We want to thank our sponsors, Mission Launch, a local consulting firm focusing on nonprofit fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com and Jake Walker Music for providing our theme music today.